Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. The best two words in all sports, obviously, game seven. Except in this case, because MLB is MLB, the best two words were game five. And if you are a Giants fan, the worst two words in life right now are he went. Or if you prefer, yes, he did. The problem is he didn't. He didn't go and your team is gone. What a brutal way to end an incredible season. A gut-wrenching way to end an amazing game and an amazing brawl between two alphas. Like the most tired cliche in sports is to compare everything to a heavyweight fight. So I'm not going to do that. I'm sure somebody else will. But I will say, those weren't just two of the best teams in baseball this year. Those were two of the best teams you're ever going to see. And they were giving each other the hands since opening day until last night. All the way from opening day until last night, these two teams were giving each other them hands. And then that brawl went well into last night. You think these two teams were very evenly matched, the Dodgers and the Giants. 109 wins each, 2-2 two and two in the series. Tied at one apiece going to the ninth. You could not separate these teams for the past few months, and you couldn't even do it last night. I've never seen two teams more evenly matched, I don't think, in any sport. And that was as tense a baseball game, or really any sporting event, that you're ever going to see. And the drama did start well before the first pitch because the Dodgers shook things up by announcing that they were going to go with Corey Knable instead of Julio Urias to start that game. You know what was really interesting, I thought? And... Obviously, this is a big Dave Roberts house. I love Dave Roberts, and not only am I not going to apologize for it, I'm not going to hide it. I love the guy. I love the guy. I think he's got such a bad and unfair rap. He's a damn good manager. But what was really interesting, I thought, as a matter of courtesy, he actually told his counterpart, Gabe Kapler, that they were going to start Knable. And you might ask yourself, why would that guy do that? Why do I have to? Why do I have to? He, that's the thing. He didn't have to. But I think that he did because he's a class act and because he didn't want to make it seem like he was a D-bag. Like he told everybody, I'm starting the 20-game winner, and then he didn't. He doesn't want to be that guy. Never mind that most people are that guy. But Dave Roberts is different. So the move, the move itself is classy as hell. And let me sidebar really quickly. How many of you bet that game and then sweated out that bet the entire game, only to go online to find your money didn't move because it got canceled because of the pitching change. How many of you had that happen? I know because I saw some people talking about it. They do that. That's not unusual. Anyway, the move itself, as wild as it seems, actually makes some sense. I mean, one, it worked. They won. But when you look at it, you've got a 20-game winner, a guy who's been money in the postseason, ready to go, yet you're going to sit him and start a reliever who has never started a postseason game ever. I mean, that's brass. That's brass as hell. And although I look at it, and at first I'm like, wow, are you kidding? Are you really going to do that? 
But then you think about it for one minute, and it does make sense. The Giants are not just a great team. The Giants are a great situational team. Gabe Kapler manages that lineup so well. He manages his pitchers so well. He positions the defense so well. In other words, there's a reason why they won 107 games. So if the Dodgers could somehow disrupt that, force them out of their rhythm or comfort zone, and make the Giants make tough decisions about who to start, who to sit, by going with a righty reliever for an inning instead of their lefty starter, maybe, maybe the Dodgers get a slight edge. Because maybe that's all you need to win a game like that. However, if that boomerangs on them, right, if that doesn't go the way they want to go, that goes really badly for L.A. As an example, nobody would question Dave Roberts or the front office or the analytics crew or any of the nerds running their spreadsheets if Urias started last night and got knocked around. But if Knable comes in and gets lit up, or if Urias doesn't get the start and then comes on and then gets lit up, then Roberts and company never hear the end of it. They would get annihilated. Everybody would be coming for Dave Roberts all over again. And they would have to listen to how, yeah, you thought you were so smart. You made it too complicated. The nerds took over, and they're running the game, and they're ruining the game. How they let their spreadsheets manage the game instead of their heads. How they didn't have enough confidence in a 106-win team and a 20-game winner and resorted to their gimmicky little nerd bullcrap. And I'll tell you what, watching that first inning, it looked like that might happen, right? Gimmicky little nerds. Darren Ruff put a charge into one. Buster Posey. Drove one off the wall in right for a double. But then Knable buckles down. He works out. And then that started one of the most tension-packed games ever. Ever. I mean, nothing lives up to the hype, but that game did. See, that's the thing about October. When it's good, it's great. Because every single pitch, every single swing, hate to say it, Giants fans, even every non-swing matters. And I'll get to more of that later on. Because while the Dodgers were going stat head with their pitching, the Giants, man, they kept it simple. They did what they do. You send Logan Webb to the mound, and you don't worry about a damn thing because he was dominating nearly every spot in that lineup. That dude is a stud. Straight-up workhorse. All he does is pound three Red Bulls before the game and then pound the strike zone during the game. Respect. As Cody Bellinger said after the game, Well, you know what? Probably best if I leave what Cody Bellinger said after the game alone. Because frankly, I really don't trust any of you with that. Anyway, I say that Webb dominated nearly every spot in that lineup. Nearly every spot, except for one spot. The one guy he could not get out was Mookie Betts. You want to talk about a stud? It's exactly what Mookie Betts is. As much as I love or as much love and respect as this guy gets, it's still not enough. It just isn't. At one point, he was 3-for-3, while the rest of the team was 0-for-15. And on a night when nobody could touch Webb, Betts did. And at the top of the sixth, he did it again. He wants a changeup. Gets it. Betts was on it. And a base hit into left field. Ruff is over. Betts will turn. And Betts will stop at first. And Mookie Betts with his third hit of the game. He's got all the Dodger hits. 
MFB. Mookie freaking bets. And that's not all. Then my man went right to work. Here in the sixth inning, Mookie will be a little more aggressive. Bats go. Seager lets him run. Posey's throw on a hop and not in time. Mookie Betts steals second base. And now the Dodgers have a runner in scoring position with one out. How ironic. I mean, that was some Dave Roberts bleep right there, right? Ionic. Right? Very ionic. Then Corey Seager comes through. Webb deals. And Seager down base hit. Betts will score. Seager on his way to second. Throw comes in. A belly flop double. And the Dodgers score first in game five. It's an RBI double for Corey Seager. Credit TBS. Mookie Betts going old school with it. Get to first. Steal second. Go in head first. Score on the next knock. Like I said, that was some Dave Roberts bleep right there. And that was the only way the Dodgers were going to get to Logan Webb. Because even when it looked like they had him on the ropes, this guy comes right back with a K and a fly out. And you knew there was no way the Giants weren't going to respond. Since April, every single time the Dodgers did anything at all, the Giants responded. And then they did so with the first batter of the bottom of the sixth. Only giving up one hit. And Ruff sends one to center field. That is way back there. And Darren Ruff has tied it. Just like that. This dude. Man, this dude. Didn't you know, as good as Urias is, when that guy got in the box last night, I thought to myself, man, dude. This guy's story, his journey, his backstory, and then most of all, look at the guy. Like, I never want to indict somebody physically, but look at this dude. And the first chance the Giants got to tie the game, they did. And that doesn't just sum up that game. That pretty much sums up who they are. That sums up the entire season. This is who they are. This is where they live. This is what the Giants do. And that's how you win 107 games. Of course, they are going to come back. Of course, that game was going to be tied going into the ninth. There was no way it wouldn't have been, and that rivalry deserved it. So then Justin Turner gets on via hit pitch or hit by pitch. In baseball, if you know anything at all, you know a closer cannot give away bases like that. You have to make sure guys, you have to make sure hitters earn that bag, or you're going to pay a price. And then the Giants did two batters later. Here comes a 1-2 from Duvall. Lines one in the right center field for a base hit. Turner will score. Lux is on his way to third. Bellinger, with the biggest hit of his career, has just given the Dodgers a 2-1 to lead. Dodger Radio. I got to tell you about this crazy experience. The first moment that I sat in my X chair, I was like, whoa, are you kidding me about this? This is what a real office chair is supposed to feel like. Like, I never actually looked forward to sitting in my office until I got my X chair. Fact. Let me ask you this. Can your current office chair give you a massage while you're working? Doubt it. My X chair can. Can your current office chair heat up or cool down? Doubt that. My X chair can. High performance, quality engineering, extreme comfort. These are all reasons I love my X chair. And sometimes, even if I'm not working, man, I just sit in my X chair just so I can, you know, get that feeling. So take my advice. Try X-Chair for yourself. Risk-free for 30 days. Once you realize how much better your chair should be, you will never, ever go back. I'm telling you. Go to xchairrome.com right now. That's the letter X, chair, R-O-M-E.com. Or call one 844 4 xchair for 100 bucks off your order. 
X-Chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as 30 bucks a month. XChairRome.com, XChairRome.com. The fact that it was Cody Bellinger that came through is pretty damn remarkable. Like, if I had told you at the end of last season that Cody Bellinger would have the biggest hit of this season, you would not have been surprised. But if I had told you at any point during this season that he'd have the biggest hit of the season, you probably would have punched me in the face. I mean, this dude's been banged the hell up. He's been banged up, jacked up, couldn't even hit his own weight this season. And yet, somehow, someway, this guy comes through when they needed it most. And then, who do you think comes out of the bully to close it all out? None other than one Maxwell M. Scherzer. Start the game with a reliever. Close it with a starter because there was no way you were keeping that guy out of the game last night. He was practically running onto the field before the Dodgers made their third out. Out. This guy was amped out of his mind. I'm not sure who was more amped for that moment. Dodger pitcher Max Scherzer or first base umpire Gabe Morales. As always, if you know the name of an ump, that's never a good thing. If you know the name of a first base ump, that's really never a good thing. Old schoolers shouting Don Dankinger or Jim Joyce cannot believe that Gabe Morales did what he did last night. Because my man was fired up and ready to jump right into the fray, which is exactly what he did with two outs and two strikes. Giants are down to their last out. Wilmer Flores, no balls, two strikes. And Flores, did he go? He did! And the game ends! A swinging strike three! Gabe Morales rings him up. The game is over, and the Los Angeles Dodgers are headed to the National League Championship Series. Dodger fan, I'm not expecting you to give that back. I guarantee almost every last one of you watching that screamed, Yes, he did! And then when you saw the replay, you had to have been like, eh, yeah, no, he didn't. Oh. And my response was, oh, hell no. And again, I don't care who wins. I really don't. But in a season of terrible calls by umpires, that was the absolute worst. Like, you can't make that call there. Not because it's two outs and two strikes in the bottom of the ninth, but because it's the wrong call. Wilmer Flores did not go. But the guy standing about 100 feet away from him said that he did. So the game is over, the series is over, and the Giants' season is over. Stupid call. Way to rip the moment, Blue. Way to steal the spotlight and make it about you when nobody was asking for that at all. Like the most MLB thing ever. How very baseball of them. And an amazing season and series with a terrible call. And it's so baseball that they have reviews for certain calls, but you can't review that call. I mean, how many cameras do they have at a game? You've got a legion of cameras. And why? To make sure that that doesn't happen. Instead, instead of using all those cameras or even one of them, they let some dude standing 30 yards away eyeball it. And that's what it took to end this battle between these two amazing teams. One amazingly bad call. That's the difference between these two teams. 
an incredible fight over the entire season and then a brutal way to have it end the worst way possible. I mean, they'd probably still be out there playing right now. Something had to give, though. Something had to give, and it was too bad that it was the ump. And again, and I'll get into this later on, just like you never want to let a fight go to the scorecards, you don't want a judgment call or something like that, decide something like that, handle your business, take care of your business. But the fact of the matter is they do have the technology, and you can review and reverse that. They just don't. So we talked about it for months. It came down to it. It lived up to all the hype, and then it ends like that. Hit me up. Are you looking to get in on the action for this week's big game? Then join me in downloading WinBet. The luxury hoteliers are now in the digital betting space, and they are offering that same five-star service that you're used to from Win Resorts, all in the form of a sports book and a digital casino app. So whether you're a recreational player or a serious handicapper, WinBet is your ticket to every exciting wager, from straight bets to parlays, teasers, and any exotic proposition wager that you can think of. Think Denver can upset Cleveland on Thursday Night Football? Then get in on that. In fact, get in on all your favorite teams, players in sports, from basketball, baseball, hockey, golf, tennis, and most importantly right now, the NFL and college football with WinBet Casino Play. Available in Michigan and New Jersey, all your favorite games from the casino floor are now in the palm of your hand. So join in on the action. Download the WinBet app on Google Play or the Apple App Store today. Win with WinBet. Terms and conditions at winbet.com. You do have to be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or somebody you know has a gambling problem, call one 800 522-4700. Cam Hayward is my guest. Cam, great to have you back. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Good, dude. Good. It's always good to visit with you. Thanks so much. I want to talk to you about that upcoming game in a moment, but can you go back for one second and talk about the win over Denver? You beat the Broncos in a game that came down to an INT in the end zone with 11 seconds left. What do you remember about that play and how good did it feel to win and finish like that? Man, it just felt awesome. You know, we had been going on the slide, uh, losing our last three. Uh, but, uh, you know, right the ship and, you know, work together uh, to win it like that was huge. Uh, and what better way with James Pierre getting an interception at the end? All right, so on top of that, Cam, you yourself had a big game. You had three tackles. You had a couple of passes knocked down, at least one more that you altered. I'm kind of curious. Like, I know you go into every week with a plan. What was your mindset going into that game? And then how satisfying was it to see it play out the way it did? Man, I, I, it was awesome. You know, uh, I just thought we competed our tail off, man. Uh, you know, some things don't always go your way, but, uh, you know, rise up in the face of adversity and, you know, not always get the sacks, but sometimes just get deflected balls, uh, whatever it takes. Talked about that so many times with guys who rush the passer. Like, the sack is not totally indicative of how well you're playing. Everybody wants the sack, of course, but it's not always indicative of what kind of an impact you're having on a game. So, because of the year you're having, your name is getting some run as defensive player of the year. Knowing you a little bit, I know you'll tell me you're not in it for awards like that, but what does it mean to you to hear people talk about you in ways like that this far into your career? You know, uh, Year in and year out, I, I, I challenge myself to be better and better. Um, you know, I know the stats don't always show it, but um, I'm just trying to find ways to be better for my team um, and get more wins. You know, if that helps and, you know, uh, if we're able to get it done, um, so be it. But I want to make sure I hold up my end of the deal at all times. 
Cam Hayward's my guest. You know, you said something earlier this season, quote, the things I know now that I didn't know at 21, I wish I knew. You learn how to take care of your body better. You learn how to use your hands more. It's a culmination of things that just continue to grow. I think that I would argue that pretty much every last one of us in life wishes we knew then what we know now. But like specifically, what are the types of things that you wish you knew at 21 that you now know? I just think uh, playing situations, understanding, uh, you know, how the game unfolds a lot more, uh, what an offense is trying to do to you, um, you know, how you can be more stout uh, in your positioning and how to get off the ball, having better hands, uh, and just create more habit. You know, I think learning those year, those things over the years and having the coaches I've had uh, and being around the teammates I've had have only benefited me. Um, you know, I think uh, because of that, I can be – play free um, and knowing what I got to do uh, going into the game allows me to play a lot faster. I like that answer. That's a great answer. Cam Hayward joining us. I was going to say, and I would imagine some of the vets that you were around when you first came up may have had something to do with this. Now you got all the young guys. Well, by the way, they're having a lot of fun with you and <laughs> what they perceive to be is kind of an older guy. We could talk about that in a minute, but like you're the guy now that everybody else looks to and you've got this wisdom you can share. When you first came up, who were some of the vets that took you under your wing or their wing? Well, you know, a guy like Brett Kiesel um, was always in my ear, um, coaching me up, uh, showing me how to be a professional. Um, James Harrison showed me how to take care of my body. Uh, and then a guy like Troy Palomalo, um, whether it was preparation, um, you know, seizing the moment in big games uh, and just having fun in general. You know, those guys uh, were huge for my career. Um, I wouldn't be the player I was today without those guys. Cam, you mentioned James Harrison. Like, I, I don't ever remember seeing a guy quite like James Harrison. I mean, what an unbelievable player and was just like a behemoth of a man. What was he like as a teammate? And then what was it like to watch him work and prepare? You know, for as, you know, tough and, you know, uh, big bravado guy as James Harrison is, you know, he loves to have a good time, loves to be a part of the team. Um, he's, he's big on camaraderie. Um, there are plenty of times we'd all just hang out at his house or, you know, he's ready to have a, a big joke going. But, um, you know, when he stepped on the field, he was just a monster. You know, I always go back to that Baltimore game where it was the big coming out for him. Um, and, you know, we're just uh, – no one could ever ask for, you know, a bigger coming out than Monday Night Football against the Baltimore Ravens having sacks, interceptions, fumbles, turnovers, knocking guys out the game. Just awesome again. It was an insane game, an insane performance that night. Cam Hayward joining us. You, know, you mentioned the word camaraderie. I think that's key. Like, I'm a huge Joe Hayden guy. I love Joe Hayden. He said about you, and I quote, he just seems like an old man. He just walks around older. He acts like it when he gets up making sounds. He looks older. Now, but Cam, in its context, when he says that, you can tell how much the guy loves you and how much they're just kind of pimping you and how much they respect you. How, in terms of chemistry and camaraderie on that defense, how tight is this unit? Well, first of all, I just saw Joe. and I, I should have given him a, a punch on the arm or something, man, for saying that. But, uh, man, I, I, I love this team. I love this team. Uh, um, you know, I always want to make sure I do everything possible for my teammates because um, you can't do this game alone. Um, you know, there's no way you reach the mountains without having a squad to help you get there. So, you know, I, I love putting my best foot forward and making sure I can help guys out. 
Talking to Cam Hayward. Cam, I'm starting to lose the connection a little bit, but I kind of want to fight through this. You were on the Trust Levels podcast with Cam Jordan and Mark Ingram. You guys were talking about that amazing draft class of 2011. When you look back on that draft class, how great was it, and what kind of thoughts do you have about it? Man, I, I look back at that draft class, and I'm just like, that's, that's one of the best draft classes you could be a part of. Um, whether it's Julio Jones and A.J. Green to J.J. Watt, Von Miller, um, you know, Cam Jordan. Um, you know, I just think it's unbelievable to be a part of that draft class. You know, Richard Sherman doesn't even get the credit he is because he was a late, later guy. But, man, we got a lot of future Hall of Famers. Um, and, you know, my goal is to try to outlast all of them. See, that's the thing, Cam. Like you, I've always been amazed by athletes that when they have the kind of success that you and others have had, that once you hit a certain point, you can see where you might plateau and might decide, you know what, it's just, it's no longer worth paying that price. But you're in your 11th year, and you know the vast majority of guys never even get there, let alone keep improving in their 11th season. How do you explain your ability to do so and your mindset that kind of revolves around that? Well, I was talking to somebody, and they said, what you trying to uh, catch uh, Jackie Slater go for 20 years? I said, yeah. But, uh, you know, to keep playing at a high level has always been a, a thing I, I strive for. Um, and, you know, I want to be able to do this a long time. And, you know, I don't think year 11 is the end of it. Dude, Jackie Slater is a great analogy. I used to talk to him on the show all the time, man. 20 years. Cam, 20 years, not not only to play 20 years, but to play at that level and to play as well as he did at the end of his career is amazing. Listen, really quickly, Ben Roethlisberger has taken some heat of late and did so in the early part of the season. You know him as well as anybody. What was your reaction when you saw and heard what's been said and written about him? Man, I, I just think, you know, Ben's still writing the story. And, you know, for people to write him off, we got to continue to keep putting him in good situations. Um, you know, I think uh, everybody's ready to write him off and everybody's ready to just, you know, close the door on him. But, you know, I think he's got a lot of great throws still left on him. And uh, hopefully he gets to do it at the highest stage possible. All right, so one last thought. You've got Seattle Sunday night, and the expectation is Russell Wilson is going to be out for a number of weeks following surgery. Like, even in a league where it seems like everybody, literally everybody gets hurt, it's going to be so weird to see Seattle without Russ because he's always, always out there. How different is this offense without him? Um, we'll see. You know, I think a lot of it's going to rely on, you know, their running game getting started. Um, you know, you don't want to put your quarterback in any situation where they've got to win you the game. Uh, Russ can win you games, but, you know, I think uh, to really slow everything down, they're going to really try and, uh, you know, have some a running game that gets them, gets them out. All right, so you got Pittsburgh hosting Seattle Sunday night, 8.20 p.m. Eastern. Everybody sees that game. Cam Hayward, three-time All-Pro, four-time Pro Bowl selection. Cam, appreciate you. Always good to have you on the show, Cam. Thanks so much. Yes, sir. Appreciate you, Mr. Rome. Hey, let me ask you something. Does this sound familiar to you? You've got one device that allows you to catch the game live, another one that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights from your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friends log in for the good stuff. Now, 
Let me tell you about a simple way to get all of that entertainment that you love, but without all that hassle, and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream. And it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before so you can catch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in the same place. That means no more juggling remotes, no need to buy another device ever again, and the best part is there is no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion. Get your TV and your life together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible devices required. Content varies by package. In clock, and they do not want to give the ball back to the opposition. I understand, Head, that it's a smart play. But for me to you, it's annoying as hell. I know they don't give a damn if they cost us money, but they're costing us money, and you're seeing more and more of this. Tough enough, Head, to win against the spread. Even tougher when you see this sort of thing. That's my Friday beef. How you living, Head? I'm living great, Jim, and yes, that does suck. Um, not jelly beans suck like that psycho you had on yesterday, but that does <laughs> suck when it happens. You just hope the Todd Gurley's accidentally scoring for you benefits you, or there's a John Johnson out there helping you out, but jelly it does beans suck without a doubt. suck. That's psycho talking that's about psycho. jelly beans yep. that suck. All right, you know, actually, you make a pretty good point that ultimately in the gambling universe, it will all come around, right? And you'll that's benefit it. on the other side yep. of that, but it can mm-hmm. hurt. Let's get into it, all right? all right? So, Green Bay at Chicago, Packers v. Bears at Soldier Field. The Packers have one of the best trigger men in the history of the game. The Bears think they finally have found theirs after years of looking. My sense of this, Head, Justin Fields is getting better weekly. He is doing enough for them to win, but is he doing enough to beat the Packers? I'm going to say no, but that's never the question, right? The question is, will he do enough to beat the spread? What is your number? How are you playing that game? The spread was much better earlier in the week for me. It was Packers minus four and a half that has now jumped to five and a half, and I'm going to hit that minus five and a half in the Packers. Aaron's going to have his hands full Sunday, though. The Chicago Bears have a damn good football coach on their team, Jim, and it's not that dude who sings about Pennis and Cracker Jacks. It's the D.C., Sean Desai, a Vic Fangio clone. His Bears D right now leads the league with uh, 18 sacks, and it's playing really well. I'm with you on Fields, too. He's looking better. He should be able to move that ball against the Green Bay secondary, but the offense is still ranked 32nd in yards per game overall, and I just don't think they can create enough points to stay with the methodical Green Bay offense. The Packers have won four straight and four straight via the spread. Let's make it five here. Packers minus five and a half. Big head taking the Packers minus five and a half. If you're new to the program, we don't do this to waste time and waste real estate. This guy is very good at this. All right, so take note. Packers minus five and a half. I like that pick. Dallas is minus three and a half in New England. If I have the number right, let me say this. The Cowboys are a hell of a lot more fun when they're a joke, except they're not a joke. In fact, the joke is on me and everybody else who feels that way because suddenly Dallas is 4-1. and one. They're loaded offensively. They're better defensively than anybody expected. And as I've been saying all season long, head, Dak Prescott coming off a devastating injury with a huge new contract has never looked better. We know the hood. Bill Belichick makes it really hard on really good quarterbacks, including TB44 a couple of weeks back. I love a dog at home generally, but I'm having a hard time making an argument for the Pats here. How do you see this game? 
So the line has moved to three now, and it's crazy to say out loud, Jim, but I'm taking Mike McCarthy and minus the points in Hood's house, minus three for the Cowboys. Dude, Dallas is good. On offense, they rake second in the league in total yardage and points per games at 34 a contest. Look for them to pound the football again. They lead the league in rushing, and the Pats' run day uh, defense is very, very middle of the pack there. Also, the Patriots are averaging 19.2 points per game, and they've played some ass squads offensively. The Dolphins, Jets, and Texans. Look, I'm taking Mike McCarthy whose team has scored 36 or more points in their last three games and remain the only perfect team at 5-0 and against the spread this season over the mumbler and that strange kid of his, Cowboys, minus three. First of all, his kid's awesome. <laughs> you keep Steve Belichick's name out your mouth. Hey, can you imagine that? I, I know how you feel about McCarthy. You just took McCarthy I over know. the greatest coach ever. I know it's not the two of them lining up against each other. That's funny to me. I'm laying points, too. I know, yeah. and laying points. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I would do the same thing. I like that pick. All right, now here's a great matchup. Chargers minus three is the number I saw. You tell me if you have another number. Chargers minus three of Baltimore, an incredible matchup between a couple of teams that just will not lose. And when was the last time you could say that about the Chargers? The one team that could count, that you could count on to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory virtually every single time, but not anymore. These dudes are different now. And if you don't choke out the Ravens when you have a chance, they will come back and knock you the hell out. Just ask the Colts. What a fascinating matchup at QB1, too. Justin Herbert, Mm -hmm. Lamar Jackson, both playing out of their minds. So, Head, you got a great matchup. Personally, I love the value you get with the Chargers. Mm -hmm. Personally, I am taking the bolts and the points. What are your points and how are you playing it? Same as you. I'm going with you on this one. I'm taking the Bolts plus three. Tough game here traveling across the country and playing in that early window against a Baltimore team that is much more balanced on offense than they have been. Last year, the Ravens were the worst team in the NFL in passing yardage per game. Right now, they are six best in the league and a half yard behind KC in throwing yards per game. I don't think anyone saw that happening this year. But here against L.A., they will revert back to that run game because the Chargers have one of the, if not the worst, run defense in football, Jim. They're allowing 5.6 yards Mm. per carry here. Mm. So I'm interested to see how Brandon Staley will approach Mm. this. But why I'm going with them is because of his offense and Justin Herbert. And overall, they have the better team. The Ravens' defense is good, but it's not the same as years past. I think the Chargers can throw on them. The Bolts are also on fire against the spread, too, including a nice 6-0 and in their last six VAFC teams. Let's make it the Bolts and take the points, plus three. It's a big ask. They got to go across the country, but I'm with you. Chargers, mine, or I should say plus three, not minus three. Let me correct that. All right, so what do we do with this, Head? Browns? Minus three at the cards. Mm -hmm. There are some injuries. There are some changes. America's team going up against the Jungle's team. What can I say? Not only is this arguably the game of the week, you know how I feel about both these squads. I did re-gloss the Browns, America's team, long before anybody else was riding with these guys. I love them, and I have. At the same time, I love nearly everything about Arizona, and they've got crazy Jungle karma flowing through them. And as we know, the the jungle karma is never wrong. I defy any of you to give me one example of the jungle karma not coming through. Right. You can't. 
and I've said this before, I don't play favorites, head, but Kyler Murray right now is my favorite player in the NFL. He is a super freak. The Cards added another super weapon, although he can't go this week. How are you playing this matchup? Cards, Browns, what's the number? Yeah, so they just traded for Ertz from Philly, and that's actually an interesting thing down the road because it does give him a good weapon at a position they really haven't utilized. But like you said, he's not playing this weekend. But here, right here, the cards and the points. So the the, the spread right now is cards plus three. I think it'll probably go to two and a half with after this Nick Chubb news. But I'm going with America's team, and I'm giving up the three as of right now. The hook was there actually all week, and it was three and a half, but the Browns are playing really, head, really good head, at home. Head, head, For yeah. our newbies, explain what the hook is. Uh, the half point on the end of your point. So it would be three and a half here or ten and a half, just a, the little hook on the extra that always usually gets It's a gets big deal, trouble. too. Yeah. What's that? It's a big deal, the hook. Oh, it's huge. It's massive, and I've been waiting for it all week, and there's a couple that went down to three, and I'm hoping with Chubb it'll go down to two and a half. Who knows? But I'll still That's hit right. the three. It's a big difference there. And why the Browns, like I just said, they're playing very, very good at home. They give up the second fewest points allowed in the NFL at 13 and a half games, or points a game at home, and second in yards allowed at 298 um, per game. Also, the big factor, look, man, against the Cardinals, the Browns are going to run it down their throat. Arizona ranks 31st in the NFL, allowing five-point yards per rushing attempt. Everything runs through Chubb and Hunt. There's no Chubb here, like I just said, but Kareem should get loose here, Jim, and that's why I'm laying the points, and I'm taking the Browns. I can tell you don't love that, but you will do that. All right, so there it is, America's team. Cleveland, that is for you. What about the Rams? I wonder if you have any interest in this game. Rams minus 9.5, 10, depending on where you see it, Mm -hmm. against the Giants. Seems to me the Giants cannot get a break, not on the injury front, not from the schedule maker. They're busted the hell up. The Rams are coming to town. Teams know they can throw on the Giants. We know the Rams are loaded offensively. Sean McVay finally has the guy under center that he wants. Matthew Stafford is living up to all the hype. The Giants are not beating the Rams, head. They just aren't. But will they keep it within 9.5? I'm going to say they will, Jim. I'm going to go Los Angeles again here, minus the points. The Giants, because of Joe Judge, the level of quit isn't where I want it to be, but their talent level is um, ass, why, to put wait, it that way. Did, did, why, why do you want them to quit? You just said the level of quit is not where I want it to be. Give it a couple weeks. The, the, you know he'll, he'll run on all of them. He'll burn them all out. It'll get there. It's just not there yet. But like I said, no, the I know talent. That. I, just want, I want to know why you're rooting for them to quit. So I can win money. There you go. Good answer. All right, continue. <laughs> yeah, carry I got to identify on, it and carry bet on. down, right? So the big question here is Daniel Jones, obviously, from last week because of the concussion. But it seems like he will go. But I don't think Saquon or uh, Kenny Galladay will, which I'll take with this Rams defense right now and the way they're playing. Dude, they're not playing good right now. L.A.'s last three games, that defense is allowed. This D isn't what it was last year, and they are more dependent on 99 and Jalen Ramsey than they have been. Having said that, Donald has a massive mismatch inside in the trenches. He's banged up as well, but he is expected to go. I love that. Add that and the offense you said with Matt Stafford, they are rolling there. There are uh, third in passing offense, total yards, and second in yards per game. Let's go Rams on the road, minus 9.5 in the early slot. Big swing. All right, Rams minus 9.5 in the early slot. I think we have one more. You've got your Broncos, minus 3.5 at the bleep show that is the Raiders. You know, Head, I was just... 
A few weeks back, I was in New York, only a few weeks back, and I was on the set of the NFL Today talking about whether or not the Raiders were a legitimate playoff team. Mm -hmm. And not just a team that could get there, but a team that could do damage there. We were talking about Derek Carr looking like an MVP. John Gruden finally looking like the game had not passed him by. And they were looking like a force in the AFC West, especially with the Chiefs struggling. Now look at them. Only a couple of weeks later, chunk disgraced, blown out, Mm -hmm. and your Broncos coming to town as favorites. My question, will the Raiders circle the wagons and get right, or are they just circling the drain? I'm going to say circle the drain here, Jim, but instead of flushing it now, uh, like Jalen Hurdswood, they're going to have to stare at this thing for about 12 weeks. It's not good. I like the Broncos. Minus three and a half here, even without Fruden's mess. The Raiders have problems. Derek Carr, he's playing fine, but his line and his run game have abandoned him. And now his OC is gone in Gruden. They also can't stop the run on defense. This is a big game for Denver after losing two straight. The good news it is in their house. Right. And Let me correct that. You're right. Good. Thank you for clarifying that. Yep. It's it's in Denver. It's, it's in, Denver. in Denver. I want to be very clear about that. The game is in Denver. Finish yep. the thought. Sorry to interrupt your flow. I know how you get. Well, they're they're, they're a lot better there. See? See, I just went right back to being smooth right there. When they are the best defense at home, uh, allowing 11.5 points per game. They need to use that offensive line of theirs. They need to put that talent and lean on the run, Raiders' run D, and that's what they should do. Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon both should have big days. Las Vegas was dominated by the Bears last week. Carr's been sacked 15 times already this season. I don't seem... Uh, to think that they'll fix this out. I don't see him running on Denver. This looks like another long day for Derek Carr. Let's go Broncos minus three and the hook right now. All right, so really quickly, I know you'll throw this up on Twitter, but for those who are joining us late or may have missed something, recap it for me. Run it down. Who do you have this weekend? Green Bay at Chicago minus five and a half. Cowboys in Hood's house minus three. The Bolts. In Baltimore, plus three. We're going uh, Los Angeles there. We're also going Los Angeles Rams, minus nine and a half at the Giants' place. Broncos at home, minus three and a half over the Las Vegas Raiders. And then America's team, it's minus three right now. It might be mi- minus two and a half shortly. You might want to wait on that one, but still hit the Browns, minus points. He is Bruce Feldman. Bruce, good to have you back. How are you? Doing great, Jim. Good to be on with you today. Always good to have you, Bruce. Thanks for making time for us. Now, you've got a piece up on The Athletic about the hot seat in college football. There are already openings, Bruce, at USC, UConn, Georgia Southern. Before we get into the specifics, how many other big jobs do you expect to see open up this year? It could be as many as another half dozen, Jim. I mean, there's there's a bunch that are really, I think, either touch and go or if those staff really struggle over the second half of the season – I think you will see some uh, athletic directors and some big-money boosters get really frustrated and pull the plug. It happens every year when you think, oh, these schools don't have the money to do it, and then somehow they find the money to make a big move. So I would expect at least a a few of these, if not maybe a half-dozen significant big like power five job that could spring open bruce feldman is joining us so why don't we break down some of these bruce like for instance it was not that long ago that lsu won a national championship then they go five and five last year they're three and three right now given the expectations at lsu is ed orgeron coaching for his job right now yeah i mean right now on the story i did on the athletic this week his seat is scorching hot 
I mean, it's crazy in one sense because, as you said, I mean, he's less than two years away from not only leading them to a national championship, but arguably it was the the biggest season any program has ever had when they went fifteen and zero, and you know, were it was an amazing story. And then last year, obviously five and five, they have struggled this year. I think the things that have hurt him was he made a a really bad hire with Bo Pelini as a defensive coordinator. And then this year he had two an offensive coordinator job and a defensive coordinator job. He went with two very inexperienced play callers, and they've struggled. I mean, both guys are are pretty green. It's not to say they can't um, continue to develop and prove to be uh, good good coordinators, but I think that coupled with the fact that they have had an insane amount of injuries. I mean, you're talking about arguably the six best players in the program are now out for the season with injuries. So. And then on top of that, you have the fact that he's working for an AD, Scott Woodward, who did not hire him. And a lot of ADs want to hire their own guy. And so here we are, uh, even less than two years removed from a national title, unless there have some really surprising upsets, including this weekend where they're a double-digit underdog at home against Florida. I think you're going to see a coaching change there. We are talking to Bruce Feldman. All right, Bruce, what about the situation in Nebraska? Nebraska's 3-4 and four this year, and as a result, Scott Frost is on your list as well. Now, the argument could be made that all four losses have been by one score, but the team is 5-16 and 16 in one-score games under Frost. How damning is that for him, and does this end badly for him there too? It, it's troubling for him. I think at this point – a lot of people there, including key decision makers, really are hoping he can give them, show them enough signs that they can keep him. Uh, you look at the schedule, there's a couple of games with Iowa and Ohio State where it's possible they could pull a big upset and win, but the rest of the schedule is very winnable games. I think the key thing is not to lose some of these other games where if you're looking at 4-8, and eight, especially where you started the year with a really bad loss, uh, to an Illinois team, that's a total rebuild. So I think they've had close losses. I think there's been some encouraging signs, but it's like they've found some ways to lose games that I think they were right there in. They need some good things to happen. I, I think everybody there wants to keep Scott Frost. He did an amazing job at UCF. He's obviously the former player, a favorite son there. I think if if and this is a big if, if they cannot, if they struggle and sputter, they have Minnesota, who's pretty banged up, they played this weekend, there are definitely winnable games. If they somehow don't get to, don't get past four and eight, or um, I think then it's dicey. But right now, I mean, I would think he has a really good chance of, of uh, keeping his job. All right, then. Bruce Feldman joining us. Now, Bruce, speaking of coaching changes, Lane Kiffin makes his return to Knoxville tomorrow. You have another great piece, which is about Lane leaving Tennessee for USC back in 2010. For context, how would you sum up Lane's first and only season with the Volunteers? Uh, wildly um, polarizing, because in some sense, he stepped on everybody's toes there whether it was Urban Meyer in the SEC or even the commissioner of the conference at the time. Uh, he rubbed a lot of people wrong. He stirred up a lot of, a lot of emotions. And yet, uh, he got those players at Tennessee to buy in. They, you know, they almost beat Alabama when Alabama was number one. Uh, Urban's team at Florida at the time was a 30-plus point favorite against them. And everybody thought Urban, Urban's team was going to whip them and give them payback. 
and Tennessee gave them all they could handle. You know, they were seven and six, but I think there was a lot of promising signs. Recruits had bought in, and then all of a sudden, as we get into in, in that story on the athletic, it was just such a mind blowing that a that USC went for him, given all the the tumultuous stuff that had come from his year, and they were in themselves in the middle of an NCA investigation, but also that he bounced after one year. Um, you know, it's, it's just crazy to go, go back and talk to folks about how the thing actually happened. Um, but, you know, it's Lane Kiffin. It's never a dull moment with him. Bruce Feldman's my guest. You know, Bruce, to that point, when he decided to take that USC job, he texted a few people close to USC, and one source who heard from Lane said, quote, we were like, what the bleep? Literally, minds blown. That's bleeping ridiculous slash awesome. End of quote. It's a great quote. Did Kiffin have any idea what he was about to walk into in terms of sanctions when he took that USC job? No, he had no clue. I believe that because uh, people I talked to at USC said, you know, we had no clue that we were, they all thought they were going to get hit with a slap on the wrist. And Mike Garrett and the USC athletic department had really kind of. I, I mean, they did not kind of go with their heads bowed to the NCA through that process. There were, a, you know, there was a lot of kind of just kind of shrug your shoulder and kind of wave them away. And the NCA took it out on on USC with some devastating sanctions. As you know, look, Kiffin got them ten and two. They beat a really good Oregon team on the road. There was a lot of positive signs the first year, but then once those sanctions really took effect. Um, it just started to, to spiral down the drain. And I think looking back, you know, I'm not sure who could have taken that program through and done, you know, done a great job there. It was just given the, what the sanctions were, but there was only so much drama around there with USC with Lane too. I mean, it's a really interesting piece of this, especially when you consider, Hey, the USC job is open now again. And Lane Kiffin stock is hot. Uh, and it's probably going to get a lot hotter in terms of the four and one. You look at how their schedule sets up. You look at they probably have one ranked opponent left to play the rest of the way, especially if they get by this road trip at UT. I'm not saying USC is going to roll the dice for Lane Kiffin again, but there's going to be a lot of his name is going to come up with a bunch of ADs who are going to say, hmm, how far, how much different is he now? How much has he grown? Because I think nobody questions how sharp of an offensive mind he is. And, you know, in that regard, I think he's kind of an interesting story to keep an eye on. Hey, Bruce, I'm like you. I'm not saying that USC is going to roll the dice and bring him back. I am saying I hope they roll the dice and bring him back. That that would just be the most amazing thing. What about USC then? Bruce, to your point, they have another head coaching search now. How do you see that going? And what kind of a coach at this point would be the right fit for them? I still think James Franklin is the top target for them. I mean, he did an amazing job at Bandy. He's done a really, really good job at Penn State. He's been there a long time. And to me, the biggest point for him, why, as Penn State's a good job, he's from Pennsylvania, but at the same time, there is no Ohio State in the Pac-12 South, you know, and that, I think, is different. You have a guy who I think's personality would fit well in L.A. I think one of the things that maybe a tougher sell for not just James Franklin, but whoever they, being USC, would be looking at is, you know, it's not like a lot of these coaches come from places where they can live 10 or 15 minutes away from their, from their office. 
And, you know, it's, you know, living in LA, everything is 34, 30 or 40 minutes away. And also when it comes to the staff, you know, yes, a head coach is going to be paid a ton of money to get the USC job. The staff, though, relative to the cost of living, how did those coaches feel about, hey, my coordinators, my position coaches, the, my support staff, um, the money's not going to go that far in Southern California because it's cost so much to live out here. So I think that some of those are the challenges for, for any coach I think they're going to consider to make a big jump. It's not, it's a, I still think it's a great job because no, no program – is built with such a power dynamic where it's slanted compared to the rest of the league, right? And there's still a ton of kids, talented kids on the West Coast, and many of them grew up dreaming of being Trojans. You can still, I think you can still get that buy-in if you have the right program, but there are some challenges with the job that we'll see how much of a commitment financially that uh, the leadership at USC is prepared to make at this point to kind of get them kind of get the program out of the ditch right now. I think you're right. Bruce, I got about 60 seconds, so let me ask you a similar question. Manny Diaz is still in Miami, but under fire as well. What about that Miami job? It would seem like that would be a great, great job because of the tradition and local talent, but is that job tougher than it looks? It is in terms of this. Manny Diaz has an $8 million buyout. If they are going to move forward from him, and that's an if at this point, not a definite, but if they are going to move forward, it's not like Miami. Miami does not have the money of like some of these other programs that make big moves. Like Auburn, you know, got rid of Gus Malzahn. They paid a fortune to do it. And Miami is not that way. Unless they're going to tap into somebody like The Rock and say, hey, can you help us bring, say, Mario Cristobal back home? But it's going to cost a lot of money to make it happen. Um, I don't know who Miami kind of taps in to, to make big moves where you're going to say, hey, we're going to move on from him. I don't know if they would try to bring Mark Stoops back. He's done a great job at Kentucky. He is the, he's, he was a Miami assistant 20 years ago. I don't know what their plan would be and what kind of resources they would actually have. That is the part that is a big question mark because you have all the talent in the world in your backyard. You have a lot of, you have a lot of potential there. But right now, it's been a long time since Miami's actually been very good. Nailed that. A reporter for Fox Sports, a national college football insider for The Athletic. He is the man behind the annual Freaks list for The Athletic and a New York Times bestselling author and a good friend of the program. Nice job, Bruce. Appreciate you. Thanks so much for doing that. Thanks for having me, Jim. Always a pleasure. Me too, Bruce. Always a pleasure to talk to you. And they're off. Welcome to the jungle. It's cracking. A very good Monday to you. What a wild weekend that was. Hope you had a great one. And obviously, we've got a lot of different places to go with it today. So it's great to have you on board. In the NFL, there is no such thing as a statement win in October. That said, I've got one. Here's your statement. Show me your lightning bolt. This dude has turned four-down territory into the entire game. And his dudes are completely responding and justifying the gigantic huevos to the decisions that he makes. Brandon Staley is my guest. What you want to be able to do in, in, in the fire gym is have strong enough relationships with coaches and players, players to coach, etc. It was an outstanding offensive performance, and that fourth quarter was something special. Allen back to pass. Drills one deep down the left side. Caught! Touchdown! You want to talk about a freaking dime. This is like some Jim Kelly This is like some Dan Marino. Marino. This is like some John Elway. This is like some all of those guys rolled into one. 
I didn't think they made him any dumber than Adam Hawk. But that moron who just answered the phone proved me wrong. Hey, rookie, when the guy on the other end of the line says it's Rick and Buffalo, you say thanks for calling your highness. I'll put you right through. Consider this your only warning. Get Jetta motoring up outside. I'm still smiling huge just watching her get up. It was unbelievable. She showed so much heart and so much grit and ran down some really good horses. It was an amazing feeling. Jetta was absolutely flying. Charles Robinson on Yahoo about John Gruden. He keeps coming out and saying he didn't have a racist thought in his head. He doesn't have an ounce of racism in him. I have a really hard time believing. I got to believe that guys in that locker room have a hard time believing it. I am currently filming the fourth course of Mission Impossible. Step away from the dinner table. Tom Shoes. I feel the need. The need to feed. Signed Tom Balloons. You ever been on a boat that's sinking? This dude has been dining out on that Super Bowl win and his scrunched up face for decades. The Raiders are better off without him, and so is the league. Good riddance. 250, 250. Sure thing, Earl. You're 0-5, but you're going to average 250 yards on the ground and through the air. Yeah, you definitely are, Vince Lombardi. Get it. Robert Alfred's my guest. Yeah, I feel like we got something special going on here, man. You have those type of players on the team. I feel like the sky's the limit for us. Kenny Clark. He don't understand it, man. He's just so used to hopping out of bed and just being able to be skinny and run around. <laughs> he don't understand a big boy running and getting after the quarterback, being able to be explosive. He don't understand that part of the game. First new message. Dodger Jim adjacent. This is CJ in the Bay. Let me explain. I do not quit the show. <laughs> CJ, you did quit. Dude, don't say you never quit. You quit. He saw up in the Bay. Kevin Mitchell ain't walking through that door, you puke. Allison Felix, our guest. Thank you so much, Jim. I have to tell you really quickly, I literally grew up in the backseat of my car listening to your show while my dad was commuting us in L.A. traffic. So a longtime fan and just a real honor to be on. You need to listen to some Beastie Boys at least get Sabotage, which is like an awesome song, an awesome video off of ill communication. I have a beef. They're, they're out Oh, good gravy. His shorts are sometimes too short. Hey, Jim, my beef is with stupid, puffy vest guy. My beef is for the over-competitive, has-to-win guy. My beef is with my wife, man. We're wrestling around, and all of a sudden, she wanted me to pin her. And I'm like, eh, Jim, I don't want to have another kid with her. <laughs> Jeff Trailer. Well, you're always so knowledgeable. You're always on top of your stuff. You always speak your mind. Much respect for many, many years, Jim. Thank you so much. God bless and birds up. Nobody dropped Valspar on his head. Dude, uh, my friend Jim Rohn, we got the karma going. He didn't fall into a gigantic bucket of Sherwin-Williams. Jim Trotter. Why is John Gruden the only person to lose his job as a result of this investigation? It's really stunning, Romy, to be frank with you. I'm asking the question, what does an owner have to do to be kicked out of the league? This is the Garrett Rich Show. Oh, baby. Talk to me. Jerry Rafferty in Baker Street. We all drive in to the studio every day on Baker Street. So I believe, I think in this song, every time we come in. Forrest, I never think. Sorry, Lieutenant Dan. Miserable, legless D-bag. If you get nothing else out, this segment at all, just know jelly beans suck. Thomas Dolby. Professor, how the heck are you? Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. I'm great. It's good to be here. Happy birthday. Mmm. Dolby. And Flores, did he go? He oh. did! Wilmer Flores did not go. Stupid call! Way to rip the moment, Blue. Oh. You send a punch and Judy hitter named Wilmer like you had Tony freaking Gwynn up there. But hey, clones, here's an ATC. 
Is Bummergard more of a dollop or a dingleberry? Ah. It'll get there. It's just not there yet. But like I said, no, the I know talent. that. I just want, I want to know why you're rooting for them to quit. So I can win money. They're not even being served in any bars. Ah. That's I would have been telling his dad. He's trying to flip me off, old man. Ah. One more sleep. Butt nugget of the jungle. Happy birthday, Jim. Give him a neck up. Old guys at swimming pools that don't shave their back. Oh, my gosh. Blah, blah, blah. Thank you. Yes, sir. Appreciate you, Mr. Ron. Photo finish. Good luck. Thank you again. Good night now! Good night now!